who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. We are certainly in no shortage of options when it comes to shopping. And honestly, that's kind of become part of the experience. Wading through a sea of choices, the excitement of finding that one thing that checks all your boxes, the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Because at the end of the day, even the perfect purchase can be made even better with great deals. And that's where Rakuten comes in. Rakuten helps you get the brands you love with the most savings and cash back. You can start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Levi's, Kiehl's, and Petco, and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The concept is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. It's truly a win-win, because you can shop all these amazing brands in one place and save money while you do it. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Realm presents Royally Yours, Episode 6. Gwen. It was finally here. 6 a.m. on the morning of the royal wedding. And all Gwen could think was, madness. This is madness. Heart-pounding madness. Madness to be here, situated so perfectly in front of the church, yards away from where the prince and his fiancée would be getting married. Madness to think she might actually prefer to be somewhere else, with someone else. Madness to think Jack would come for her, Except that the last picture she'd taken of him in uniform, on duty and unable to speak, still gave her hope. She was having a hard time keeping her mind on her job, when her thoughts kept wandering back to that cupboard, to Jack's mouth on hers. Another moment of heart-pounding madness. Unfortunately, she was jolted out at that reverie by the uncomfortable sensation of something large and hard jamming against her. Gwen huffed. Sure, this is what you had to do to stake out a decent spot, but still. Is that your telephoto lens poking my ass, or are you really excited about this wedding? Gwen asked, shooting daggers at the lanky photographer, wearing Canadian credentials, who was trying to hone in on her space. Sorry, Gwen. 
the Canadian said with a grin. He stepped back maybe a centimetre before cocking his head and shooting her a look of faux sympathy. Must be tough being short. She rolled her eyes. Wouldn't matter if everybody behaved. I don't care how well people behave, as long as they shower, he said. You're lucky I'm so civilized. Har har, she muttered, wincing a little as the Japanese fellow in front of her stepped back on her toe. He bowed a quick apology and then turned back toward the church, fiddling with his flash. I'm surprised you're in such a shit mood this morning, given the pictures you've already nailed this week, said the guy on her left. Ah, her British pal. Maybe I just need that drink you promised, she answered. Or maybe I just need Jack. Gwen craned her neck. Her mind was focusing on looking for the first wedding guests to arrive. Her heart was looking for the Queen's guard. No sense looking for a uniform, though. He'd be in his civilian clothes, off duty. She sighed. What if he's here and can't find me? What if he's not here at all? The jostling and bumping and shouting started in earnest. Gwen saw a couple of boring administrative church types head through the doors. She didn't even raise her camera. Her heartbeat raced. He's never going to find me here. Hell, Gwen, if you're just going to stand there, get out of the shot. Someone yelled from behind her. Tension swelled as activity in front of the church picked up. The weather was lovely. Good for the wedding. Not so good for the paparazzi. The sun was in everyone's eyes. Over here! Over here! Get your sweaty armpit out of my face, will ya? More flowers! Mert! Move! Do you want a punch in the face? It had begun. The photographers were ramping up. And nobody wearing a dress had even arrived. That's when it would turn into a real mosh pit. Gwen raised her camera and zoomed in. She half-heartedly started taking pictures trying not to let the prick of tears in her eyes turn into something more. She wished it were raining, so she could cry in earnest without anyone seeing her. Someone put a hand on her shoulder. She steeled herself to turn and deliver a shove or a punch or whatever the situation might require. But in the next split second, she knew. Her body, her mind, her heart knew. The rest of the world might be going crazy, but when Gwen turned around to find Jack Churchill smiling down at her, everything made sense. Hi. She breathed more than she said. Jack looked down at her with those warm brown eyes. Hi. He looked as good in civilian clothing as he did in uniform. He had a sweater on over a dress shirt, his jeans hugging his thighs. I didn't know if... You knew. He whispered. We both knew. Gwen barely had time to smile before his mouth came down on hers in a long, lingering kiss. Jack took her in his arms, his warm breath against her ear as he held her close. And then, damn it all to hell, his phone rang. He didn't look too pissed off when he took the call, and it was over quickly. When he hung up, Jack tucked a strand of Gwen's hair behind her ear. 
I'd like nothing more than to take you straight to the nearest cupboard to finish what we started, he said. But I've got a friend who needs help with an elaborate romantic plan. I could use your help, actually. Will you come with me? Gwen grinned. He came back for me, she thought. He came back for me. I wonder if he knows I'd follow him anywhere right now. I'd love to. Let me just put my camera away. I've already got everything I could have wanted on this trip. Jack's smile lit up hotter than the cameras flashing around them. Well, where we're going, I think you want to keep your camera at the ready. Jack took Gwen's hand in his and started pulling them away from the scrum. It took a long, long time to make it through the crowd to where the air was fresh and the sounds of bickering paparazzi began to fall away. But that was probably due to the fact that neither one of them could go more than three steps before kissing the other again. Becca. Becca took a deep breath as she placed her feet on the throw rug and got out of bed. Today, an hour from now, she had no idea what was about to happen, but she was going to be ready for whatever, or whomever, might appear at her door. At least I'll be beautifully dressed, she murmured, as she looked toward the closet where the two gowns hung. They'd arrived the day before with a cryptic note that only told her to be ready at nine and to decide if she was going to be a princess or a goddess. She was surprised to find she had finally been able to get to sleep. She'd lain awake for hours pondering the mystery, and which gown she'd choose, of course. She still didn't know the answer to either one of those questions. This all had to be related to Mac, the man she'd spent yesterday with. But how could he possibly afford even one of those gowns, much less two? Why would he buy them for her? And why hadn't she asked him anything about himself? All she knew was that he was skeptical about romance, was Scottish, and that he used words like folderall. Mac knew her whole purpose in coming to London was to stand in the crowds outside the church and cheer on the royal wedding, so she would be sadly disappointed, even if beautifully dressed, if that wasn't the outcome of the day. Maybe it's just a prank or a misunderstanding, Becca thought, as she rang her fingers along blue silk and purple tulle. But these dresses were very real and there had to be a reason they were hanging in her closet. The knock came at five minutes past nine, right as Becca had convinced herself it was all a trick. She should just get out of the dress she'd chosen at last, throw off her fancy gloves, put on her souvenir sweatshirt, and go watch the wedding procession from the vantage point she'd scouted when she'd made her plans in the comfort of her small Minneapolis apartment. She swallowed, smoothing the dress down her body. She hoped Mac, it had to be Mac, right, would like her choice. She took a deep breath and flung the door open. Oh, she said, taking a step back. It wasn't Mac. The man gave a lopsided grin, folding his arms over his impressively broad chest. I'm not who you're expecting. He spoke in an American accent, 
and she blinked as she recalled where she'd seen him. Piccadilly Circus. Like the day before, he wore a battered leather jacket and jeans. But I am here. He drew a piece of paper from his back jeans pocket. To let you know, your fairy tale is about to begin. He read the words as though they were in an amateur theatrical production, and Becca suppressed a giggle. You're the one who was looking for Meredith yesterday, she exclaimed. You and that royal household guy. Yeah, I'm Mike. He thrust his hand out and she took it. It felt weird to shake hands while wearing gloves, but Mac had bought them for her yesterday, and she was damned well going to wear them as often as she could. It had been hard brushing her teeth, but such was the cost of being a princess, and they matched her dress. The dress she wanted Mac to see, so he'd know who she'd decided to be today. And you're Rebecca. How do you know? She went to snatch the piece of paper from his hand, but he was too fast for her, jamming it back into the pocket of his jeans as he shook his head. Am I going to see Mac? She leaned to peer out her hotel room door, looking up and down the corridor. Nobody there. How do you know Mac anyway? And did you find Meredith? Mike nodded. Yeah, we found her all right. I don't know Mac myself, but that royal guy you mentioned does. And I have a hard time saying no to him. He wore a secretive smile. Henry knows Mac. Well, they, um, uh, work together. He held his hand up as Becca opened her mouth to ask more questions. Work together? How? Did Mac work at the palace? And if he did... Why hadn't he said anything yesterday? Oh, God. Had she totally embarrassed herself with her royal fervor in front of someone who might have met the royals? So, Mike clapped his hands together. We're wasting time. Sorry I was late. If you'll come with me. Come with you? Becca echoed. Where? He shook his head again. Can't tell you that. It's all part of this fairy tale business. Here, he said, putting his hand into the front of his leather jacket and withdrawing an official looking card. So you don't think you're being kidnapped? She took the card from his hand. Michelangelo Russo, private security. Michelangelo, she said with a raised eyebrow. Mike, he said firmly. I'm here protecting Katrina, he added and handling some other things. He nodded toward her. I'm the other thing? Becca asked. He grinned again, a sly, mischievous smile that was frustratingly unhelpful. Your note, the one that came yesterday, said to be ready by 9 a.m.? He held his arm out as though he were a prince, escorting his lady to a ball, not a biker guy taking an enthusiastic American tourist out somewhere. Okay, Becca said, exhaling. I'm ready. Good. You look nice, by the way, he said as he took in her dress. You get that here? She nodded back. Yes. They walked downstairs and out through the pub. 
Becca giving a queenly wave to the bartender, who winked at her. Hey, Mike, he said to her companion. See you later. You got it, Mike replied. You know the bartender too? Becca asked. Do you know everyone? I'm a friendly guy, Mike said, shrugging. She heard the bartender snort, as though that were not true. Once outside, Becca looked for a car, then froze when she spotted only a motorcycle parked in front of the hotel. I can't ride on that. Not dressed like this, she said, gesturing to her gown. What is it with everyone and motorcycles? He said, shaking his head. He shrugged. Well, I've got to get you there. He handed her a helmet. I've taken Katrina on this thing loads of times, dressed nearly as fancy as you are. Though Katrina usually wears a bit less, Becca pointed out. Just hop on. I promise your dress will be fine. She gave him another skeptical glance, but did as he'd said, sliding onto the bike. The seat was surprisingly comfortable, and she tucked her gown in so it wouldn't get caught on anything. Ready? Mike asked over his shoulder. Becca shook her head but said, Yes. That a girl, Mike said. Wrap your arms around me. She did, relieved at how solid he felt. There'd be no tipping over today. He was clearly used to this. And besides, she was sitting where famous pop star Katrina Ledoux had sat a hundred times. That was a story worth taking back to Minneapolis. The motorcycle started up, and the noise made Becca jump. She felt, rather than heard, Mike chuckle. It'll be easier to weave through the crowds on a bike, he shouted over the noise of the engine. The streets are jammed, and I'm under strict orders to get you there on time. The motorcycle started to move, and Becca instinctively held on tighter. I take Katrina to the Grammys this way most years. Otherwise, it takes forever. And she's always late getting ready anyway. Once they got moving, she had to admit it felt wonderful to zip around London this way. Mike was a good driver, weaving through traffic and slowing down to wave some official papers every so often to get them through blocked streets. The motorcycle slowed as they approached the palace. The palace. It was right ahead, in all its regal majesty, and her eyes widened at the sight. That was where they were going wasn't it? She hadn't dared to hope before. But now... Oh. My. God. Would she get to see Mac now? They went through the gates, Mike waving his paper again, and then they came to a stop in the parking area, in front of the palace. In front of the palace. She was in front of Buckingham Palace, and it appeared she would be going in. How did Mac have these connections? When was she going to see him? Would she see him? And if she did, would he like her dress? So many questions. So few answers. The other man she'd seen Mike with the day before 
dressed now like yesterday, in an impeccable suit, a discreet but elegant tie, and matching pocket square, his hair perfectly tidy, greeted them on the steps. Becca did not miss the warm look he shot Mike's way. Interesting. Good morning, Miss Rebecca, the man said, his accent sending familiar ripples of royal excitement down her spine. He spoke just like the members of the royal family. I am Henry Stockbridge, assistant to the royal butler. There are a few things you must know before entering the palace. Becca couldn't absorb what he then started to say, because he'd just confirmed it. She would be entering the palace. She, a librarian from Minnesota, was going to walk along the same halls that Meredith and Richard did. She wanted to scream, shout, and sing all at the same time, perhaps even twirl. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. You've probably heard the name Mary, Queen of Scots, and maybe you know the importance of her legacy to the British monarchy. But how much do you know about her life and what she was really like? For instance, did you know that she preferred to have her eggs scrambled or that giving gifts was her love language? In my podcast, Vulgar History, we'll be talking about all that and more during an eight-part miniseries about the fascinating life of Mary, Queen of Scots. Vulgar History is a feminist women's history comedy podcast where we don't shy away from the messy, complicated lives of women from the olden times. Particularly with women in history, it's easier to use broad strokes to portray who they were, and it's like we forget they probably also had messy lives, complicated relationships, and maybe things weren't as black and white as they might seem in a textbook. But I'm dedicated to sharing the sides of the stories we don't always hear, and each episode is supported by rigorous historical research. Turns out there's really something about Mary Queen of Scots. So be sure to turn into my series about Mary Queen of Scots and check out the other incredible women I've talked about while you're there. You can listen and subscribe to Vulgar History wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at vulgarhistory.com. Miss Rebecca, 
Mr. Stockbridge's tone was sharp. Have you been listening to me at all? Leave her alone, Hank, Mike said in a teasing voice. Can't you see? The poor girl is dumbstruck. Gotta say, he said, moving closer to Henry. There's a lot of things of interest here. Becca suppressed a giggle as she saw how Mr. Stockbridge, Mr. Propriety epitomized, blushed at Mike's words. Well, Henry said, glancing toward Becca. I suppose there's not too much trouble you can get into. Just, just be polite. As much as a yank can, right? Mike said. Becca would have sworn Mr. Stockbridge nearly rolled his eyes. I will deal with you later, Michelangelo. Looking forward to it, Mike replied, his gaze raking Henry up and down. I'll see you later also, Rebecca. Perhaps back at the Hound? Sure, Becca said, even though she still had no idea what was happening. But apparently at the end of it, she'd be having a beer. Good to know. If you will come with me, Mr. Stockbridge said, gesturing toward the front door of the palace. Becca swallowed as she followed close on Mr. Stockbridge's heels. The gentleman knew you would wish to see this, Henry said. The gentleman? Becca echoed. Mac? Henry looked pained. Yes, the gentleman you know as Mac. The gentleman I know as Mac? What kind of palace doublespeak was that? They stood in the hallway, Becca's eyes widening as she saw all the pomp and circumstance. And they were only in the hallway. Note to self. Keep smelling salts handy. Not that she had ever even seen smelling salts before, but she would guess Henry had some. He seemed like the type who might have them always on his person in case of a fainting emergency. It was on the tip of her tongue to ask him when he gestured to a door at one end of the hallway. Step this way, please, and don't touch a thing. Their steps echoed through the hallway, and Becca darted anxious glances up toward the staircase. What if this was a mistake? What if she wasn't supposed to be here at all? Would she get hauled away on some accidental trespassing charge? Thankfully, she made it to their destination without either fainting or getting arrested. She would take that as a win. Heck, she'd take this whole day as a win, and it wasn't even 10 o'clock yet. The room Henry led her to was stately and grand, containing a massive desk, an impressive carpet, and a few solid and intimidating-looking chairs. A tray of pastries, and what Becca hoped was British tea, not that she knew what that would be, rested on one of the low tables. Her stomach growled at the sight, but her hunger was forgotten when a door opened on the other side of the room and two people, a man and a woman, spilled out onto the carpet. They'd apparently been inside some sort of closet. Oops, the woman said. Her red hair was like a flame against the carpet. She wriggled out from under her companion and rose, holding her hand to help him up. Then she peered at Becca, a wrinkle between her eyebrows. You're the girl I saw yesterday, she exclaimed. Don't you scrub up well? Becca smiled. 
It was the woman she'd bumped into after Bumbleshins. The woman stuck out her hand to Becca, a smile on her face. I'm Gwen Parker. I'll be taking a few pictures. Just pretend I'm not here. Pictures of what? Becca asked, looking around. Gwen rolled her eyes. <laughs> you, of course. This whole day. Don't you want proof for it later on? Uh, yes? Becca replied in a tentative voice. And this is Jack Churchill. Gwen beamed up at the man standing next to her, who shook Becca's hand. Pleasure to meet you, Rebecca. He was the epitome of tall, dark, and handsome, and Becca blinked up at him as he released her hand. Mac is a friend of mine, as is Gwen, he said, shooting a glance over at the redhead. I think I qualify as more than a friend, thanks very much, Gwen replied with a wink. Jack shook his head with amused exasperation. Mac asked us to help him out, and it sounds like you're worth it. He was practically giddy on the phone, and Mac is not the giddy type. Becca resisted the urge to squirm at the compliment, and at the idea that she had been able to bring something out in Mac that even his friend had never seen. Jack grinned at her, then turned and gave Gwen a quick kiss on her flaming hair before he began to walk away. I'll be back to collect you in an hour, he called over his shoulder. Later, Gwen said. Then she unhooked a camera from her shoulder and held it up in front of herself, the camera making those whirring noises that indicated she was taking multiple shots. Henry stepped forward. I will be instructing you how to curtsy, he said to Becca. Properly. And in less than half an hour, God help me. He picked up the tray of pastries and offered it to her. Becca chose what she hoped was the least crumbly one. She didn't want to look as though she'd been rolling in flour, not in this dress. She waited until she'd swallowed the first bite before replying, Curtsy? Henry, meanwhile, had prepared a cup of tea for her. He hadn't asked her how she took it. Perhaps he'd prepared it the way the Queen took hers, so there was no need to ask. She took a sip. Creamy and with plenty of sugar. Yes, you'll need to be able to curtsy properly when you meet the royal family. He spoke as though it was entirely understood that she was going to meet the royal family, when actually, she didn't understand anything. If I may, he said, standing in front of her, ready to place his hands on her shoulders. She nodded. First off, you should be standing absolutely straight. He pulled her body up, so it felt as though she was suspended from a wire. And then, you will have to keep your balance. It wouldn't do, he shuddered, to fall over while curtsying. No falling over. Got it, Becca murmured. Then, put your right foot behind your left foot. He waited as Becca hesitantly did as he said, wobbling a little. Then briefly bend your knees with your left foot forward while keeping your body straight. She lowered herself down, feeling her muscles protest. She had done a substantial amount of walking yesterday. Hmph, not terrible for your first time, 
Henry sounded surprised, and Becca smiled at the reluctant compliment. Again, he commanded. You'll do two curtsies, one when the royal family member arrives, and then one when they leave. You will not leave the room before any of the royals. As though I'd want to, Becca thought. Becca straightened, meeting Henry's gaze, and taking a deep breath as she prepared to execute another curtsy. This one was better. She could tell from Henry's expression. Meanwhile, Gwen kept snapping pictures. After a while, she got used to it. As though a photographer documenting every minute of one's day was normal. Maybe for a princess it is, Becca thought with a smile. Excellent, Henry said after the thousandth curtsy, or so it felt to Becca, whose knees had never gone up and down so much in their entire lives. You will pass, Master. Thank goodness, Becca said, grasping the back of a chair. I wasn't sure how much more I could take. She squinted up at Henry. You're sure you can't tell me what's going on? Even if I could, I would not have the time. He consulted his wrist, then huffed. I must be off. I have so much to do today. It's only because the... Since Mac asked, he said, stumbling the tiniest amount over Mac's name. Becca was opening her mouth to ask questions. Questions she knew full well wouldn't be answered when there was a knock at the door. Enter, Henry commanded. The door opened to reveal a couple both of whom were more stylishly dressed than Becca had ever been, present day excluded, and both of whom wore elegant hats. Henry gestured toward Becca as he left the room, his pace indicating he was needed urgently elsewhere. Jeremy, Gwen said, thanks so much for coming. The woman was beautiful, her skin smooth and lovely, her eyes dark and smiling. She wore a simple but remarkably elegant dress that clung to her curvy figure. The man was dressed in an impeccable suit that looked as though he were about to go present some bills on the parliament floor. We've brought something for you to wear, the woman said as she stepped forward. She held her hand out to Becca, who shook it. This woman was also wearing gloves. I'm Tracy Lewis. She spoke in an American accent, and this is Jeremy Brooks, she continued, gesturing to the handsome man beside her. He also shook Becca's hand. Very pleased to meet you, Rebecca, he said. I called Jeremy this morning, Gwen said, and then turned to face him. I wasn't sure you would be able to pull it off with such little time, honestly. Tracy arched an eyebrow as if to say, you doubted us but Jeremy slipped his arm around her waist and pulled her toward him. Lucky for you. I know the most in-demand milliner in London, and I'm not talking about Finley Nye. Tracy rolled her eyes, but looked pleased. I had some leftover materials for something I was throwing together last night. It's just a fascinator, mind you. I only had a few hours, and I'm not a magician. She held out a circular box in front of her, and placed it on the desk. Her hand hovered over the box for a moment. Then she whipped off the top, 
like she was a chef presenting a special dish. Oh, Becca sighed as she saw what was inside. She'd have to contradict Tracy. The woman was a magician. It was a piece of art, a delicately crafted concoction of swirling peach, lace, and feathers. Like I said, it's just a fascinator, Tracy said. We didn't have time to make a full hat. She glanced at Jeremy, though maybe we would have if you hadn't been so distracting. He simply grinned. The fascinator matched Becca's gown perfectly, although it was designed so cunningly, it would have gone with either of the two. Gorgeous, Gwen said in an admiring tone, snapping another picture. It's lovely, Becca added. So lovely, Jeremy echoed, but his gaze was on Tracy. Was everyone she would see today loved up? If she saw Mac, when she saw Mac, she would point out the high preponderance of romance in the palace. True love is catching, she'd say. Would he agree? The thought made her heart stutter. Try it on, Tracy urged. It's yours. We made it especially for you. How did you... She began, then shook her head. Mac. Jeremy winked at Becca. We were up anyway. Tracy withdrew the hat from the box and held it out to Becca. Unless you wish me to place it on. She squinted at Becca. Actually, you'd better do it, she said, handing the hat to Jeremy. You're taller. Yes, please do, Becca replied. I'm not sure my hands are steady enough. Jeremy settled the hat onto Becca's head. Tracy stepped up to adjust the fascinator and Becca's hair, an intent look on her face. Gwen's camera snapped continually through every moment. Becca was grateful Gwen was there after all, so she would have proof this wasn't a dream. There. It really does look perfect, doesn't it? Tracy said. If you do say so yourself. Jeremy said in a dry tone. Tracy laughed as she hooked her arm through Jeremy's. Now that we've finished our last responsibility, let's go get our seats. We'll see you there, she said, both of them turning to walk out the door before Becca could even thank them. We'll see you there, she echoed. All part of the mystery, Gwen said. Becca was turning to grill Gwen about what she knew when they heard the door open again. A woman peered in, an inquisitive expression on her face. Pardon me, she said. Are you Becca? At Becca's nod, she walked in. Her dark hair was piled on top of her head, and she had large, dark eyes. And she was dressed in what Becca presumed was a maid's uniform. She was holding a bunch of flowers. I'm Jasmine. I work here at the palace. She held the bouquet out to Becca. These are for you. Jasmine dropped a curtsy, far better than any Becca had done, as she handed her the flowers. Now that Becca could see the bouquet more closely, she saw it was actually a corsage made up of spiky purple flowers blended with dark green leaves. Those are thistles, 
Jasmine said. The national flower of Scotland. A flush of colour stained her cheeks. They're so pretty, Becca said. Benji, uh, that is Mr Marsh, arranged them. He is so clever, Jasmine said, a dreamy look on her face. Another romance? Let me help you, Gwen said, putting a camera down. She took the flowers from Becca, pinning them to the strap of her gown. They're lovely, Gwen said, glancing at Jasmine. Please thank Mr. Marsh for me, Becca added. Jasmine nodded shyly, then walked out the door as Jack returned. I'm here to escort you to... to where we're going next, Jack said, addressing Becca. She didn't bother asking where that was, since she knew he wouldn't answer. Besides which, it felt like such a magical, mystical adventure. Wearing a lovely gown, a bespoke fascinator, flowers, and having her pictures taken like she was someone famous. Already a fantastic day. So even if Jack were only taking her for her beer in the Hound, she'd be happy. I'll be back in the photog scrum, Gwen said. Pick me up thereafter? Of course, Jack said. He escorted Becca out of the room, pausing as he looked from one side of the hallway to the other. This way, he said at last, taking them to the right. It's a shortcut, so we can make it in time. Becca blessed her comfortable ballet flats as Jack led her through the labyrinth of rooms and hallways until they emerged, eventually in what appeared to be a stable. An elaborate carriage strapped to braying horses stood in front of it. The carriage was made of wood, but each panel was decorated with vibrant colors depicting pastoral scenes. A man dressed in an ornate uniform sat on the seat atop the carriage, holding the reins. He lifted a hand in greeting when he saw them. And this is where I leave you. Jack said with a bow. The door to the carriage swung open, but Becca couldn't see who or what was inside. Mice? A fairy godmother? A prince? This was a true fairy tale, and she didn't even have to encounter a witch or anything. She turned to Jack. I will be at the Hound later, she said. At least, she added shooting a glance toward the carriage. I think I will, unless something goes horribly awry. Or terribly right, he said, gesturing toward the open door. Becca swallowed and nodded, putting one hesitant foot in front of the other. Mac. Mac had never been so nervous in his entire life. For that matter, he'd never been nervous ever before. On the battlefield, he'd been anxious, bored, terrified, but he'd never been nervous. But now, waiting for her to arrive, nervous. He'd thought of it at first as a lark, after he'd returned to Bumbleshins and bought the gowns. But the more he thought about it, it felt as though it wasn't enough to purchase a few gowns for her. He wanted to give her the perfect day. The perfect day for a woman he was coming to suspect was perfect, for him. It had been a devil of a thing to put together in time. 
He'd called Jack and then Henry, who had gotten Katrina's bodyguard on board. Henry had asked Jasmine to work on the flowers with Benjamin. Jack's friend Gwen had known where Mac could get a hat thingam quickly. Mac had been up most of the night working out the logistics. Not too different from battle techniques, but much more satisfying. Dangerous, but for his heart, not his body. It had felt like a pleasure, not a chore, to get rigged up in the appropriate clothing this morning. As though Becca was standing beside him, nodding in approval, as he fastened his kilt and put on his sporran. Hello? He heard her voice before he saw her, and he closed his eyes for a moment and took a deep breath. Hello, Becca, he replied. He rose from the seat, extending his hand out the door for her to take. Mac! She accompanied his name with a pleasurable sigh, and he felt some of the tightness in his chest loosen. At last! He knew that whatever happened from here on out, he'd done the right thing. It was worth all the effort if he could make her happy. She climbed into the carriage, the frippery on her head hitting the top edge of the door. She wore the gloves he'd bought for her, and the gown. A princess, he said, drawing her to sit on the seat beside him. She'd chosen to wear the first gown she'd tried on, the lavender one, with the flowers trailing down it. It made her look otherworldly, as though she were a fairy princess come to life. Come into his life. He couldn't speak for a moment as he took her in. And look at you, she exclaimed. A kilt? And you shaved? Almost as though I'm a hero from a romance novel, he teased. She tilted her head as she assessed him. Almost, she replied with a grin. But how did you do all this, Mac? Her face looked as though it were lit from within, and he couldn't help but smile at her obvious joy. How do you know I did it, princess? he asked. She rolled her eyes and swatted him on the arm as she'd done the day before. Who else would have? she asked. The bartender at the Hound? She shook her head in mock disapproval. The tourist who took our picture? She let out an exasperated breath. Should we go, your grace? The coachman's impatient question interrupted them before Mac could present more unlikely suspects. Yes, Smith, Mac replied as she gasped next to him. Your grace? she repeated. Her eyes, her brown eyes, were round as saucers. Who are you, Mac? He picked up her hand and held it, laying their clasped hands on his leg. It's not as though I was hiding it. I promise, Becca. Who are you? She said slowly. Mac winced. He always shied away from sharing his family details with people because they treated him differently after except for his army buddies, like Jack, who couldn't care less who somebody was back home if they were a competent member of the squadron. I'm the Duke of Skye, a Scottish duke, so not nearly as fancy as one of the British ones. Her eyes were so wide, it looked as though they took up half of her face. A Scottish duke? It sounds more impressive than it is, he said hastily, and I didn't tell you because... because... Because I'm a crazy American who's obsessed with the royal family, she supplied, sounding mortified. He squeezed her hand tighter, even as she tried to draw it away. No, he said firmly. I didn't tell you, because I was having the most wonderful day of my life, seeing the world through your eyes. And I wanted to feel what you are feeling. And I didn't want to color that with my own reality. 
he cleared his throat. And I'm an idiot. Oh, she replied in a soft voice. You thought it was a wonderful day? The most wonderful day of my life, he repeated. It wasn't because of the royal wedding or visiting romantic sites. It was because of you. She was silent as she thought through what he'd said. Her brows were drawn together in thought, her mouth twisted. Then she grinned up at him and bit her lip. So I guess you're not cynical about romance now? He chuckled, shaking his head. I can't say I won't lapse into being, what did you call me? A cynic, sometimes. But right now, on this day, I believe in love. Well, Duke of Sky, where are we going? Where do you think we're going? We've got a wedding to attend. Becca. If she weren't wearing gloves, she would have pinched herself. She was sitting in a carriage with a real coachman beside an actual duke. A duke who had misled her as to his identity, to be certain. But a duke. And she was going to the royal wedding. Do I have to call you your grace? She asked suddenly. The coach lurched, and her shoulder brushed his. She felt him stiffen beside her. No, please don't. Mac is good. He sounded pained, as though having his title were a chore. I don't even know your full name, she said. Hamish McIntyre, Duke of Skye, he said. I have a bunch of middle names, but that's the gist of it. Hamish, she repeated. Hamish? I think I like Mac better. So do I, he agreed fervently, at which she laughed. How does this all work? She said, gesturing vaguely. I mean, you're a duke, so does that mean you get to go to the wedding automatically? Am I your plus one? I don't get to go. I have to go. Becca felt herself start to bristle at his familiar dismissive tone. But no, that's wrong now. Because of you. Now, I am excited to go. To get to see the spectacle. The... The Falderall? Becca suggested slyly. He laughed. Yes, the Falderall. He uttered a snort. I bet you'll be able to find nice things to say about even my most unpleasant family members. I imagine they are all wishing only the best for Richard and Meredith, she said firmly, at least for today. See, he said. You've already done it, and you haven't even met them. Oh, my God. Was she going to get to meet the Queen? I don't need to meet anybody but you, she said. She lifted her other hand, the one that wasn't still holding his, and put her fingers on his jaw. Then she drew it back quickly. She released his hand and drew off her gloves, then placed them on her lap. Then she put her hands back on his face, his stubble grazing her fingers. Shaven, he was even handsomer than the day before, definitely less wild. The planes of his face were sharp and defined, 
and she could see his mouth more distinctly. His blue eyes were intently focused on her, and she took a deep breath as she reached up to tug his head down to hers. Closing her eyes, she pressed her mouth against his, the jostling of the carriage inadvertently intensifying their kiss. He gripped her firmly as he kissed her, as though he never wanted to let her go. Same here, Duke, she thought. Same here. And then all thought was swept away when she felt his hand slide up her ribcage. Her whole body tingled, lit up by his touch, and she leaned closer to him, one hand clutching his strong back, the other gently resting on the muscular thigh beneath his kilt. His hand brushed lightly over her shoulder, and he sank his fingers into her hair, almost tugging, making her want to arch her whole body into his touch. They broke apart at a particularly violent jolt of the carriage, and she stared up at him, enjoying how flustered he looked. If we didn't have a wedding to go to, he began, his voice low and intense. I would ask Smith to drive us all the way to Scotland. She appreciated that he sounded sincere, even though the idea was even more fantastical than what was happening right now. The coach slowed, and Becca took a deep, calming breath and straightened her fascinator. She tore her gaze away from Mac's glorious handsomeness to look out the window. They were in a line of carriages, each as spectacularly decorated as the last, and she could see a few fashionable-looking ladies leaning their heads out their windows. It might take a bit. I have a lot of family, Max said with a wry smile. Eventually, it was their turn to dismount from the carriage. The door swung open, and Mac leaped out, his kilt swinging. Becca caught a glimpse of his legs and wished again for smelling salts. He was handsome all the way through. He turned to her, holding his hand out to help her down. His gaze was intense, and she felt herself start to blush. Mac placed her hand in the crook of his arm and led her into the line to enter the church. She leaned up on her toes to glance at the other guests, all of whom were splendidly and immaculately gowned and suited. Although none of the headgear was as close to gorgeous as hers was, in her entirely unbiased view, of course. You fit right in, he murmured into her ear. Only, I think you are the most beautiful princess here. She felt her cheeks heat even more. Miss, she heard a voice call. Miss in the purple. That's you, Max said, now nudging her in the side. She turned to see the speaker and saw it was a woman with a notepad and a huge badge that read press. Me? Becca said. Yes, you. The woman pushed her way through the crowd toward them. She pointed her pen at Becca. Who made that adorable fascinator? I work for Style Journal. It's the best one I've seen yet. Tracy Lewis, Becca replied. The woman scribbled the name on the paper, then looked back up a questioning look on her face. Oh. oh, it seems like only you and Princess Gracie managed to snag her designs. So much more fun than the sea of same old Finley Nyes out here. 
she said, before racing toward another woman wearing a beautiful red gown. Come on, princess, we have to go in, Mac murmured as he guided her forward. And then they were in the church. Mac handed his invitation to an usher, who began to lead them down the aisle. The same aisle Meredith would walk down. Becca could not believe her life right now. She swiveled her head and stared, each sight more breathtaking than the last. Oh my God! She couldn't keep herself from saying it. Oh my God! Mac chuckled beside her. What do you see? He asked. It's... Oh my God! She said again. You'll need to be more specific, Rebecca. He said in a mock reproving tone. She turned and looked at him, a grin on her face. It's everything, Mac. She turned back, lifting her hand to point at various things around the church. The altar, the candles, the flowers, all the people, she exclaimed. And the clothes and the hats. And everybody looks so happy. She slid onto a pew, unable to sit still due to the excitement of it all. I'm happy you're happy, Max said in a low voice. People were still getting seated around them, but the front rows of the nave remained empty, no doubt reserved for the royal family. A few people walked past them, and Becca yelped, then clapped her hand over her mouth to stifle the noise. Her eyes danced above her hand, and Mac grinned back at her, obviously relishing her excitement. Those are Meredith's parents, she explained in a whisper, and her sister. And look, she gestured discreetly. Richard is right there, right up there. He looks like he can't wait to see Meredith walk down that aisle. Oh my God, it's going to start soon. She bounced in the pew, making the guest on her other side glance over at her. Sorry, Max said. She's very excited. Then he lowered his voice. This is one of those family members I mentioned. His relative gave a kind smile. It's a wonderful day, isn't it? She said to Becca, who nodded. Becca took Max's hand in hers, clutching his fingers tightly. Oh, she said as the music began. Mac. The guests all turned their heads as the wedding march began, then rose as the bride appeared. Mac made sure to put his arm around Becca, not just because he wanted to touch her, even though that was part of it, but because he was worried she might crumble when she saw Meredith. It took even his breath away as he watched first Katrina, then Meredith and her father walk down the aisle. Meredith, inherently a star, nodded at various people in the crowd, a lovely smile on her lips. Her father's eyes were misty, and Mac could almost feel the prickle of his own tears. If he felt that way, he'd have to make sure he passed Becca a handkerchief before she flooded the church. Then the ceremony began, a blur of soft-spoken words, the exchanging of rings, and the final pronouncement. Throughout, Mac held on to Becca, for himself as much as for her. Now that he'd found her, he didn't want to let her go. They'd need to have a discussion about that. He didn't even know when her return flight was scheduled. 
Becca. And then it was over, and Meredith and Richard were walking back up the aisle. Meredith looked like a fairy princess, a goddess, and a woman in love all at the same time. Her face practically glowed, and her gown was the most gorgeous thing Becca had ever seen in her life. She'd devoured every single article that had surmised what Meredith might wear, making her own judgments with each photograph she saw. But Meredith's choice surpassed all of the prognostications. Becca felt in her heart that this was the best and only gown Meredith could have chosen. White, of course, but a transcendent white with faint hints of glitter that caught the light as Meredith moved. A risky choice for a royal wedding, but one that told the world she was still the same fun-loving Meredith. The dress was flattering to her curves, and its skirts belled out, as though Meredith truly were Cinderella at the ball with her prince. Just like Becca was, although her prince was a duke. She exhaled as the guests at the front started to exit. Did you like it? He asked. She exhaled in happiness. Of course I did. Mac, it was so beautiful, and you could feel all the love between them. You felt it too, didn't you? She paused as she realized how important his answer was to her. Please tell me that you felt it too. I did. I do. She rose up to place a gentle kiss on his cheek. Thank you. Thank you for my perfect day. It's not over, he said, shaking his head, unless you want it to be. She swatted him on the arm. Of course not, silly. I didn't know if you had to go do Duke stuff with your family. Duke stuff? He said, raising an eyebrow. You mean rule over my fiefdom? He shook his head as she laughed. I took care of that before I had my coffee this morning. Samadhi is free, if yours is. She nodded. It is. Becca could not stop grinning as she left the church, even though she knew she must look like a complete idiot. But then again, everyone else seemed to be smiling just as widely as she was. Even Mac. He hadn't stopped touching her, first putting his arm around her as Meredith walked down the aisle then holding her hand through the ceremony. Now, her arm was tucked into his elbow as they walked back down the aisle. Some of the flowers from the bouquet had fallen onto the ground, and Mac let go of her to reach down and pick one up, presenting it to her with a flourish. Another souvenir, he said, as he tucked it into his breast pocket. She leaned forward to sniff it and sighed deeply at the beautiful scent. Jasmine, she exclaimed. Her research hadn't mentioned jasmine as a traditional royal bouquet flower, but it smelled absolutely divine. A worthy addition, she thought. Where are we going now? She asked. No offense, but I don't think anything can top this. We're going to where it all began, he said cryptically. She searched her mind for what that might mean where Meredith and Richard first met, to the palace where Richard was born, to the arena where Meredith had given her first London concert. But she couldn't figure it out. They got back into the carriage, 
Smith, the coachman, looking suspiciously teary-eyed as well. You know where we're headed, Max said as he helped her inside. She adjusted her gown around her as he settled beside her. The carriage moved slowly through the streets, wafts of conversation and spontaneous cheers punctuating the drive. Mac held her hand, looking down at her, as she alternated between staring into his eyes and gawking out the window. She narrowed her eyes as she began to recognize some of the landmarks. We're going to the hotel? Um, what did he think was going to happen? The Hound, he said, apparently not thinking at all about the fact that her hotel room was also there. A rush of relief coursed through her. Well, relief and a bit of disappointment, because he was her Prince Charming and all. They stepped into the pub, Becca's eyes adjusting to the darkness. It was only midday, but it might as well have been midnight in there. And then she saw them. Everyone. Henry, Mike, Gwen, Jack, Jasmine, a man she presumed was Benji, and Tracy and Jeremy. All of them in the pub. All of them clearly happy. And maybe even a little tipsy. You're here, Gwen cried, stepping forward to Becca. Was it everything you imagined it would be? Becca sighed in happiness, clutching Mac's arm. The bartender slid two beers down the bar, and Mac handed one to Becca before picking up his own glass. It was more than I'd imagined, Becca said. And I have to say, thank you to all of you. You made it possible. All part of my duty to the royal family, Henry said, glancing at Mac. Even though I stood you up yesterday, Mac responded. Turns out I had better things to do. He gave Becca a pointed glance. Didn't we all? Gwen asked in a sly tone. Jasmine's cheeks flushed, and Benji looked down at her with a besotted expression on his face. Tracy and Jeremy laughed, and Henry and Mike clinked their glasses. But how did you do it all? Becca asked Mac quietly as she hoisted herself onto the bar stool, careful not to squash her dress, at least as much as she was able. He sat down beside her, adjusting his kilt as she had her dress, and she giggled. I know Jack from the army, he began, and Henry works with the royal family, so he had to accommodate what I wanted. Perks of being a royal, Becca said. Henry asked Benjamin for the flowers, and Gwen knew Jeremy the hat maker. I described the two gowns as best I could, so I'm relieved this thingum. He gestured to her head. Turned out so well. It's a fascinator, Becca replied. I can't believe you did all this for me. I can, Max said with a warm smile that practically melted her heart. He kept his eyes locked on Becca's as he dug into his coat pocket and withdrew some notes, placing them on the table. Now, he continued as he stood up and offered her his hand. You took me on a tour yesterday, so it's my turn to take you somewhere. It's only right to return the favour. I've got something to show you, princess, he said, tugging on her hand to help her off the bar stool. Something else? 
Becca said in astonishment. What more could there be? Mac. Uh, this is a train station, Becca said in a dubious tone as they walked into the broad open space. Some things don't reveal their true romantic natures right away, just like the Whispering Gallery, or me. She tilted her head to look at him, curiosity in her gaze. Go on, she said. I mentioned Scotland earlier, my home. Her eyes were getting wider by the second. And? She asked. And I want you to come home with me, Becca. I don't want this day to end. She seemed to freeze, and he could feel his heart pounding. Was this how Richard had felt when he'd asked Meredith to marry him? Looking down at her lovely face, he felt entirely exposed. All those emotions he'd assumed he did't have lay bare. Well, he said, unable to wait any longer. She looked up at him, her eyes sparkling, and he knew even before she spoke. Yes. He leaned down to press his mouth against hers, an unspoken promise sealed with a kiss. She reached up to twine her arms around his neck, pulling him closer as she kissed him back, the kiss turning passionate. He lost himself in her taste. After a while, she drew back, a look of satisfaction on her face. What? he asked, leaning back toward her. There's no way you can deny ever again that true love is real, she said. Not after this. I'm so glad you were right, and that I was wrong, he murmured into her hair. Say that again, she demanded. I was wrong, you were right. Princess or goddess, you were right. Random man in pub or duke, you are wrong, she replied. And I am so glad. And then she kissed him again, and he knew it wasn't magic. It was her. You're listening to Royally Yours by Megan Frampton, starring Lorna Bennett and Gary Furlong. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Realm, listen away. Hey, Jenny, have you um, ever heard of a vampire slayer? Do you mean the one girl in all the world with the strength and skill to fight the vampires, demons, and forces of darkness? I do. Oh, yeah, I've heard of her. Cool. My name is Jenny Owen Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together, we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Never seen Buffy before? We will protect you. Our podcast is spoiler-free, so first-time viewers can listen along safely. Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy? <laughs> Your search is at an end, my friend, because we did exactly that. So if you've never watched Buffy, or if you're about to watch the series for the 14th time, come over and join us. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at BufferingCast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Royally Yours is created by Megan Frampton and written by Megan Frampton, K.M. Jackson, Falguni Kothari, Liz Maverick, and Kat McMurray. It is produced by Lydia Shama and executive produced by Julian Yap and Molly Barton. Audio production, sound design, editing, and theme music by Amanda Rose Smith.